On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I had the chance to chat with Steph Van Bokel from Operator One. We talked all about what it is like to enter the European market. Specifically, we were talking about marketplaces. It can take forever, like a year to actually try to enter even just one of the European marketplaces, specifically Amazon. We talked through what that's like, what the alternatives are for you and who you're going to all have to hire. Luckily, we talked to somebody from Operator One, and this is what they do. A very interesting model, something I think you guys are definitely going to want to check out, especially if you're thinking about entering Europe. Very, very interesting. You guys are not going to want to miss this one. Guys, I've actually been using this app for years. Did you know that most e-commerce stores are leaving 10 to 15% of their total revenue on the table by not offering upsells with every purchase? Crazy, right? But you can actually put that money back into your wallet with the one-click upsell app. One-click upsell is the secret weapon that's already made 560 million in extra upsell revenue for merchants just like you. The simple app transforms any Shopify store by offering highly targeted pre-purchase and post-purchase upsells with every single order. We've seen one-click upsell double a merchant's total revenue and average order value practically overnight. In fact, the average Shopify merchant who installs one-click upsell on their store increases their total sales by 10 to 15% as soon as they set up the app. And it's ridiculously simple to set up. I can even set it up. Not saying I'm, you know, bad at setting things up, but one-click upsell is the original upsell app for Shopify. Again, I've been using this one for years and it's highly profitable. Upsell funnels have already made half a billion dollars. Yes, I know we just said that before, but it's true. That's because one-click upsell actually has more features and more offer placements than any other upsell app on the market. You get state-of-the-art features like AI-powered upsells, which is massive, brand new product page widgets, and high-converting shopping cart pop-ups. Plus, the app has built-in split testing, which is, again, super simple to use. So it's a no-brainer to find the best-performing offers for your particular store. That's why it's no surprise that one-click upsell has made merchants like you again an extra half a billion dollars and continuing in additional revenue. So if you're looking for the fastest way to scale your Shopify store in 2024, head on over to oneclickupsell.com and claim your special 30-day free trial offer. It only takes a few clicks to install the app, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue today, as in literally right now. And I hate that I said literally, but I did. <laughs> Don't miss out on another dollar in free upsell. Go to oneclickupsell.com and start your free trial right now. And please tell them that Jordan sent you. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Looking forward to this conversation today. I'm always looking for different ways to be able to expand product lines, right? Whether it's new products, whether it's new areas entering. And Europe has always been very, very interesting to me as a North American. I think that it's a little bit difficult. I've talked to a few people on this podcast before about entering Europe and all of the different things that are involved in actually entering Europe. And so I'm really looking forward to my conversation today. I have Steph Van Bokel, sorry, Steph Van Bokel from Operator One. Steph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, a little bit bad that you're not pronouncing my name correctly. Well, we tested it a few times before going live, but okay, it's forgiven. Perfect. You know, I think this is like episode number 550 or something like that. And I'll bet you probably half of them, for some reason, it gets in my head. You know, it's like, I see the name, I know how to pronounce the name, and then it just gets in my head and I can't. It's like one of those little weird isms that I have that I'm like, I just wish I could not do it. 
I don't mean to do yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, from Buckel, there is nobody is able to pronounce that correctly. That's not from the Netherlands. So it's because the, oh, let's say it's like not used in any other language. So it's totally understandable. Interesting. I'm going to tell you guys all an interesting story about the Netherlands. So my grandpa back in the day was a Mennonite. And he was in Ukraine and then he was taken by the German army at one point, luckily never got a tattoo. But when he was done in a POW camp at the end of the war, he really wanted to come to North America. But the problem was they weren't letting Germans or Russians into Canada. So he actually went to the consulate in, and in the Netherlands and said, hey, I lost my ID. I need a new ID. I'm a Dutch citizen. And somehow he was able to do it. And he was able to get his name changed to Johan von Regeer and then was able to come over to Canada. (laughs) So just a really interesting, when you bring up the Netherlands, I was like, oh yeah, that's like a great, and I just recently heard the story about him. So it's so interesting. Anyway. It's a cool history of the family, I must say. So that's nice. Nice it's cool because like I wouldn't be here if that didn't happen. So it's very, very, yeah, yeah it's super cool. Well, let's get into the episode today, Steph. I'm really looking forward to chatting about this. Sure. Tell me, what is the big problem that you guys are trying to solve? Like I think about entering Europe and I'm like, there's so many problems in my head, you know, of like, I would don't even know where, where to start. I think about like the companies we own. I'm like, man, Europe would be awesome. I don't even know where to start. So I'd love actually, sorry, before that, tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do exactly. Okay, good. Well, yeah, thanks again for having me. So in the very short part, we act as importer of record as well as merchant of record and everything in between. If you want to start selling in Europe, it needs to start with a fiscal entity and a legal entity. And then you need to have a local operation because of, you know, borders that you cross different languages there are, different currencies, etc. And basically what we did, we designed an infrastructure around Amazon and other marketplaces and offered that as a service to companies, for example, from the US. So instead of going live in a period of six months to a year and spend close to 100K, they're live a few weeks later without any operational setup or in-house investments. Wow. So it kind of sounds like you guys act a little bit more like partners, hey, than just like a regular sort of agency relationship. Is that true? I'm not an agency. So as soon as somebody says you're an agency, I always get a little bit, I don't want to say angry, pissed, but let's say, so we are an operator. Our business is to push as much volume to our operational infrastructure. We are not here to sell consultancy. We are not consultancy. We are also not a customer support agency that only wants to sell customer support. The reason why we're good at it, since we control the complete route to market. So if you're selling a television or an agenda, the route to market operational side is exactly the same. And that's what we're good at, making sure that each aspect is managed under one roof and that makes us efficient. Of course, we do some consultancy left and right whenever it's necessary, but our main business model is really that operational setup. Awesome, awesome. Okay, that's great to know. And because I want to say something, you said, what's the biggest problem in the Europe you mentioned? Well, yeah. Amazon in Europe, if you want to focus on Amazon for a sec, is a marketing game. And more and more, it's becoming more an advertisement platform. Yeah. But in the Europe, it's an operating game. So, and that is, I think, the biggest change because obviously, if you look on Amazon, there are eight languages, four currencies, 27 tax levels. And, and so that just gives an insight. You need to push a lot of different buttons to make sure you're able to sell. sell. So how many different Amazons, because I'm thinking about like North America, I'm like, okay, we got Amazon Canada, we got Amazon US, we got Amazon Mexico. How many different Amazons are there in Europe? Like there must be one, is there one for the EU or is it just like, like different? No, 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 no. 
not online. So Amazon's been existing for, let's say, over 20 years, in which of five countries, they've been longer than, uh, on average, longer than 15 years. Yeah. And four countries were launched just in the last two years. And oh, they're wow. building warehouses basically everywhere. So it's a matter of time before they will go live in multiple countries additional on top of the night, let's say. Wow. Wow. So that's a lot to manage. Even just thinking about like, you know, we at Upgrowth, we do some Amazon ads management, right? And even just within North America, it's like you're doing, it's very different advertising in Canada versus the States. And it's funny because like, you know, maybe as a European, you don't see the differences, but it's very different. It's a very different game advertising to an American versus a Canadian, right? Like we're probably a little bit more like on the European kind of spectrum as far as like what we care about, uh, even just like politically and all that kind of stuff, right? Like what we are, the values that we have. So that's interesting. And then you go to Europe where it's like every country is different, right? Like every country has a different sort of thing. How behavior? Yeah, 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 yeah. So walk me through, what are some of the pitfalls that you've seen when brands are trying to enter Europe? What are some of the pitfalls that you've seen? With a vacancy for Amazon manager, then okay. I already know it's going to be a complete failure because you need so many different expertises yeah. that it's impossible to put that in one person. So the pitfall is hiring one person that's responsible for Amazon. The solution is if you want to do it in-house, set up an in-house project group with a the warehouse manager, the back office, the finance, the marketing, the customer support, and then approach it together and knowing it, it's the largest sales channel in Europe. So treat it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Do you guys deal with any other marketplaces that are in Europe, like Hundreds. Walmart and <laughs> those? So yeah, hundreds. Yeah. Well, there's I, no Walmart. Oh, there is no Walmart. Oh, interesting. There's no Walmart.com no, in no, Europe. No, Walmart's not. Uh, is there Walmart no, no, no. at all? Like any kind of Walmart? Well, I, you can ask me anything about Europe. Outside Europe, I have limited knowledge. No, but in Europe, it, does Walmart even exist in Europe? It would be very interesting to visit as a European. So would love to visit one. Never saw one, never heard about anything. I checked, obviously, so when Walmart is opening their marketplace, if they would allow European sellers, which they didn't. So no, I don't think Walmart is active here. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. So tell me about some of these other marketplaces. So obviously, Amazon is the 10,000 pound gorilla, right? That like, that's where you want to enter first, right? What's next? Okay, so Amazon is the beast, yeah, in all levels. So they are by far the largest e-commerce channel, yeah. and, but they're also the beast. If they move, you need to move. If they say, you know, lay down, you have to lay down, otherwise yeah. you're Jump how to, high. Uh, to succeed. Yeah. Exactly. So not I don't like, but Amazon. <laughs> Steph, you never heard somebody say like, oh, I love Amazon so much, other than consumers. Consumers love Amazon. Yeah, I know. If somebody would ask me 10 years ago, if I with this knowledge, and I now have an Amazon business and, you yeah. know, we did millions. Would you start do it again? No, absolutely, absolutely not. No way. I had so much trouble bringing, working with Amazon. Absolutely horrible. But Amazon, so obviously Europe has quite some countries and Amazon's only active in five. And in the other marketplaces, they don't exist. Other countries, they don't exist. And in the countries that they are just launched, for example, last few years, they are in the top 10, but that's it. So there are a lot of local players that are much bigger than Amazon. And actually, they can do quite good business. So if you look on single countries, you have a few large countries like Germany, 80 million, UK, France, Spain, Italy, 60 million, Poland, 40 million. So let's say there are also quite some large countries in, in Europe. Yeah. But there are also a lot of other countries that are a little bit smaller, but the average spending per person in Europe is the highest globally seen. And if you look at the access to internet, it's also globally one of the highest. Interesting. So the, Just Europe in general stuff? 
Like in general, that's true for Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I did not know that. You didn't know? Okay. okay. No, I feel like an American right now where I just think like, no, we're the ones who spend the most, you know? Like, no, ain't no. nobody going to spend more than me. <laughs> no, it's not all countries, obviously. It depends per country. But if you look at all Western Europe, for sure, yeah. the average spending per person per shopping cart is in Europe larger. Wow, crazy. So tell me yeah. how you guys, so, you know, somebody's trying to enter Europe and they're just like, okay, well, I'm going to send some stuff into FBA and Europe. And that's as far as they get. Why would they want to sure. partner with operator one? What does that look like exactly? Like, I'd love to know from, because, it, you know, there's a lot of e-com brands that are listening to this that are like, man, I would love to expand into Europe, but I just, I have no clue what to do. Who's a good fit? And then can you just walk me through like the step-by-step? -step? And again, guys, remember, Steph is not a sponsor of the podcast. This is just an interesting conversation I wanted to have because I think that it's super interesting. It's a massive market that most of us have not tapped into. So on the North American side. So I'd love to hear that step. Who's a fit? And then walk me through the steps of what that looks like. So I'll first answer the number one question. How much does it cost? Oh, yes. Perfect. I didn't ask you that, but... <laughs> no, no. Everybody's waiting for that question, but we work against 5% of the revenues that we generate. Okay. And we work with a minimum multi retainer that's on average around 2 to 4K. Depending okay. on the size of the catalog, the number of marketplaces outside Amazon, for example, and the number of countries. Yeah. So we say for the price of a half FTE, you get 30 FTE managing everything end-to-end. -end. So that's what I also mean, end-to-end. -end. We have a German team, we have a French team, we have an Italian team. All the and that includes ad management too? Like that's marketing in there yeah. too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or okay. we, we do two ways. So if we have what's pretty unique, we can set up dedicated seller accounts. Where we yeah. are technically the owner of the account. Gotcha. But the brand can access, but also the marketing team, if he has, can access it. So on the background, we do the boring stuff, you know, the import, the logistics, the warehouse, the VAT file, and the compliance. And they focus more on, for example, ad spend. This way, they don't need to set up legal fiscal entity in Europe, but they're immediately able to start selling on a professional level. Gotcha. So, I just want to step in here for one second, Steph. So this is really interesting, especially... Seeing TikTok shops, right? TikTok shops are going to be massive, absolutely huge. The problem is yeah, they're only available in a few different areas, the United States being one of them, Canada not. I know a ton of Canadians that want to enter that US market. So what they're looking for is the merchant of record so that they can actually get into the States and start selling on TikTok shops. So there's this whole black market now on TikTok shops of people creating TikTok shops with their social insurance numbers so that businesses can start to enter the States. I've been approached by a bunch really? of them. It's very interesting. And so interesting. I'm just thinking about that with, because it's a very similar sort of idea, right? Like you have to have this physical presence. You need to be able to like, yeah. actually there's certain like requirements. And so I think about that with TikTok shops. I just wanted to kind of make that connection there. No, it's basically the same. I mean, actually also are working with some of the companies that do a TikTok campaigns because from the moment, if you have influencers active in Europe and you're able to say, and you have the decision to buy to a web shop or you can buy direct, for example, if then there's promotion in the links, so not the TikTok, but actually promotion, you can buy it at an Amazon store locally, then we see a strong increase in revenue. So what was now the question again about the flow of the process, the type of client you want to talk about? One-click upsell increases your Shopify revenue 10 to 20% by offering your customers highly targeted upsells and cross-sells on every single purchase. In a few clicks, you can add state-of-the-art upsells to your product pages, car pages, thank you pages, and even the shop app. So you can capture more money from every single customer practically overnight. Yeah, that's right. So first, yeah, yeah. First, you started with price, which I love. I absolutely, it's interesting actually as, because like I do sales sometimes at the agency. I always start with price. 
McKay, I just want to let you know, here's the minimum required men to work with us. If that makes sense, then let's keep chatting because otherwise you're just wasting each other's time. So thank you, Steph, like how nice and forward of you. So that's good to get that sort of money aspect out of the way. Who's a fit and who's not as far as like the types of brands? So you want me to target US companies as this example? Yeah, let's use a US company, yeah. Okay, so if you look on revenue perspective, a half million Amazon.com, then you should be able to do, let's say 50% of that also in Europe. Okay. Why do I say that? Because the market is big and Amazon Europe is going 40% faster than Amazon.com. So we actually are slowly increasing Amazon.com. I think in a couple of years, we will be bigger than Amazon.com simply because also we are adding continuously new markets. Just like in the past four years, we added almost 100 million new consumers. That's quite wow. a It's one third of the US. So that's wow. the revenue size. And why is it interesting? Because if you have a 200 five-star reviews in Amazon.com and you go to Europe, you and we are able to bring your reviews to Europe, we can. Yes. That you're launching a product with 200 reviews to the consumer, it's a local hero. That's one awesome. big advantage. I did not know that, by the way, Steph. I didn't know they ported... I know like we port our reviews between Canada, Mexico, US. I didn't realize that you could do that over in, into Europe as well. Yeah, yeah, we do brand registry under your name and then we're able to process it. Cool, cool. So what is another big benefit is because in Europe, there are a lot of local players. So for example, there's 60% less sanders active in Europe while it is shattered over nine countries. So the local hero in Germany is often not selling in France or Spain and Italy. So you have a lot of local heroes. So if you then launch a product with sometimes over 1,000 five-star reviews, you maybe have the number one highest reviews in that country even after launching one day. So that's, I think, a big, big benefit. So we like to have some proof of concept. Yeah. Yeah, that's any cool. brands okay. makes any sense. But... Yeah, oh, of course. I mean, this makes a lot of sense. Are there any brands that it just doesn't make sense for them to enter, like as far as like the product category and and that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, like... I mean, previously there was a company that was selling toilet paper that is just too bulky. So if you are producing in the US and adopt bulky goods and you need to ship it to Europe, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So yeah. I would target products of 30 euro plus, or let's say $30 plus. And not too bulky, unless you, for example, produce, for example, China, then you should be shipping from China into Europe instead of from China into US, from US into Europe, yes. because then you have Makes double cost, custom cost. Yeah. Product compliance is a bit complex, but it depends on product. Makeup, for example, is more complex than, for example, a phone cover, obviously. So there is a sort of a sanity check if a product needs to have more compliance requirements than the other. So it's price, complexity of the product, and the volume of the goods. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So walk me through the step-by-step of like, you know, if somebody comes to work with you, what does that look like exactly as far as the timeline? Like, say I want to launch one of our brands in Europe in two months. Is that doable? Yeah, it's doable. We do even sometimes a couple of weeks if the products are already compliant. So because in theory, we can start selling in two weeks. Wow. Because we act as the import of records. So you just ship the goods and we handle the rest. Yeah. But what the very first step is what we do before we actually do a price proposal is to check what are your margins. So the client sends us the catalog that shows the product category, the package specifications, so the weight and the volume and yeah. the sales price. And then we show in a few days what are your receivables on product and a country level. Because you have different taxes, different storage costs, different logistical costs. Amazon is charging different uh, commission per category, per country. So you're first going to see 
is it a profitable business? Yeah. Now, for us, you know, database. So the first thing that you're going to know is there enough margin for me? That's yeah. number one step. Yeah. Then we often start, obviously, we want to go live in online countries and with the full catalog in the future. In the beginning, let's focus on the top sellers in the top countries, get used to each other, and then scale within a couple of months, even six months, we can be live on a pan-European level. Where is generally the first country that you enter when you're thinking like about entering Europe? So we are the, probably the only one doing this, but we immediately go live in three countries. Okay. Because, and I'll tell you, it's very simple because normally for us, because we have that infrastructure, it doesn't provide a lot of additional operational pressure to go live in one or three countries. Yeah. But if you go live in three countries, there's also there's one product selling in that country, go to the other product in the other, and all together, because obviously diversify risk and opportunity, you have good sales. Yeah. And what is the first step everybody wants? Break even, because then it's again fun to talk to us because everybody's making money. Yeah. So in the beginning, limit the steps, immediately go cross-border in multiple countries, make sure we have to break even point, and then we slowly start increasing the even more products, more, more countries. But if you ask me what are the largest channels from a revenue perspective, it's Germany first, UK second, and then it's France. Those are okay. the largest markets. That said, if you look at US brands, every US brand say, hey, yeah, UK is the biggest in Germany, so let's go live there. But that also means the competition is much stronger. And if you have a category where people are advertising, it's probably maybe not the most profitable market. Gotcha. So in many cases, we say, okay, or oh, strategical, I want to be a market leader, let's start investing and start increasing revenue. Or you say, no, I want to be profitable. Okay, let's target, for example, Spain, France, and Italy. There's still a massive market, 180 million consumers, but there's a lot less competition, so we are able to make some money. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Steph, I didn't realize we'd been talking for so long. I got to ask you the question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your okay. secret to scaling? Knowing your margins and ready to think outside the box. And then third, don't look at borders. Start with the ideal market and then think back how you can reach that market instead of thinking from your comfort zone, what is the ideal next market? Yeah, yeah, love that, love that. That's awesome. Okay, I've got a few more questions for you here. But before we get into those questions, if people are listening to this and they're like, man, I want to enter Europe. I want to work with Operator One. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Where exactly would that make the most sense? Well, I'm very proud that in an auction, we're able to buy a very cool domain, or at least I find it cool. It's all1.eu. So a two-character domain, all1.eu. Wow. wow. And there you can find some information and you can reach out. And ideally, if you put my LinkedIn profile here somewhere, then people can also reach out to me direct via LinkedIn. Absolutely. And guys, remember, everything that Steph and I have talked about today will be down in the show notes. If there's something that we've talked about in here and there is a link that we can give you, it will be down in the show notes. So please go and take a look. I think it's a very interesting concept. And I think that it's something that makes a lot of sense to me to enter, right? If you're already doing great in the States, like, let's open it up, right? It's a huge amount. I mean, comparatively to Canada, you know, we don't even have 40 million people here. And you can enter multiple markets over there. I don't know. It just makes a lot, a lot of sense to me. That's all, all I want to say about that. Steph, I, I do have three more questions. I, I hope that you're ready. Go. 
Okay. Awesome. First question for you. Favorite tool or app that you're using right now? <laughs> well, we have our own performance team and I see them using tools continuously. But for my project management tool, we like Monday. And for my personal life, I like still, we have every old school Excel. It's not really a tool, but for me, if you are like numbers and like to quickly calculate, that's basically the two tools I'm using. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's funny about Monday. So I used Monday for years. And you know what I found is that I actually just ended up building more spreadsheets than I did. Because Monday is just spreadsheets on steroids, right? It's just like all these connected spreadsheets, essentially. We just ended up going back to just using plain old sheets. Really? (laughs) For Project Man, I know. I know it's crazy. And yet it somehow works for us. So, I mean, I love Monday. I think that Monday, of all the project management tools, it's the way my brain works. But I just wanted to throw that in there. No, what I dislike and I understand, you are continuously pushed to create a new procedure on procedure on procedure on procedure, but it does make it a lot. You're creating basically a lot of overviews. So that makes sense actually, but I'm for sure not going to introduce the idea within the management team because they're going to shoot me. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I just get to kind of say how things are, which is great. So, But I also let my team use it. Whatever works for them. In the end, what we're trying to do is just be good. So whatever tool we use is great. Steph, second question for you. Favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? Ooh. What my favorite, I must say, the Smart Scout is uh, Smart Scout from Scott Needham. Smarter Seller is really mm. the one that I really like. And a million dollar business is also what I really like when they share all kinds of startups that go from zero to a million. Cool. Cool. That's great. Actually, that's interesting. Those are two that I have never listened to before. So again, guys, remember, we're going to have those down in the show notes if those are podcasts that sound interesting to you. They sound quite interesting to me. So I think, yeah, those are great. Last question for you. And again, I didn't want to prepare you for this one. You just found out you have a year to live. What changes in your life? Let's start with Amazon. One. Now, probably if I have a year to live... A year to live, obviously, you know, I already live in Tuscany, so I'm not moving. I probably get a subscription at a sort of a wine factory that every day there's a new wine bottle being delivered. And, you know, I've never had that answer before. Yeah. I mean, every year, so I want to drink as much good wine as possible. That is a brilliant answer, Steph. Thank you so much because I'm a wine guy at heart as well. I have limits. I don't think I've ever told anyone on this podcast before, but. I have drinking limits. I do not drink on weekdays, Sunday through Thursday. I just don't drink. And it's only because I know that I have the proclivity to, I'm just an all or nothing kind of person. So I make sure I set rules like that for myself. Otherwise, I would drink wine every single day. I'm exactly the same. Are you? Okay. Exactly the same. But for me, I'm thinking the whole week, what wine will I buy on Friday? Also, in the weekend, when I can drink Monday, during the weekend, when I can drink on Saturday and Sunday... I never get the drinks for the whole weekend. Every day I go again to the oh, shop cool. to decide what I will drink that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. I have a nice bottle saved for tonight I'm looking forward to. So I'm oh, a big, like, I'm... we've got a wine region fairly close to us. I actually own a house up in that area that's an Airbnb. And nice. with, there's about 250 wineries within like an hour drive. And it is... Oh, wow, crazy. I'm sure it would make like Europeans would probably come and be like, spit it out. But I like it. I think it's great wine. It's British Columbia wine. I think it's great, but... Okay, good to know. You'll have to try it sometime. I'll have you out here. I'll take you on a wine tour. We'll go to some of my favorite places. You'll be like, oh, interesting. $100 bottle would go for like $4 here, so... (laughs) Yeah, same here. So I live in Tuscany, so it's for me also. There's like wineries everywhere. And you can buy wine for two euros. But what's really interesting, and don't want to take much more time, but 
So you have in the Netherlands and Europe, you have, let's say, some normal supermarkets and some very low-priced supermarkets. Yeah. In the Netherlands, when there's a low-priced supermarket, the most expensive bottle of wine is like, let's say, $6. And that's it. But in Italy, if you go to the cheapest supermarket, uh, for example, the Lido, the most yeah. expensive bottle is 30 or let's say $35. So that immediately, yeah. <laughs> I found that super interesting. That everybody, no matter what you're earning, it's all about the wine here. Okay. You're not going to save money on the wine. You can save money on everything. But if you go to the wine the department, that's no saving. Only make sure you drink good ones. Oh, wonderful. What a good life yeah, yeah. lesson. Hey, just drink hey. good wine. We were talking about this at in a leadership meeting about like, oh, should we hire a couple of junior people or hire a senior person? And we're like, always better. Always been an A player, and I'm thinking about this with wine, an A player makes your life so much better. When you drink good, when I drink crappy wine, I'm like, why did I do that? Like, yeah, life's too short. You got to drink good wine. It's true. It's true. Steph, thank you so much for your time today. I think people will get an absolute ton out of this. Guys, remember again, all of this information is going to be down in the show notes. Please get a hold of Steph if this sounds like an interesting thing to you. Thank you again so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Hey, guys. Just wanted to say thanks again so much for listening to the podcast. If I could ask one favor of you, it would be to share this with your other e-commerce store owner friends. Uh, we want uh, everyone in the e-com space uh, to be listening to this podcast, and lots of you guys already are, and we really, really appreciate that. One last thing before you go as well is we are offering to our podcast listeners a free e-commerce growth plan where we go from strategy to sale with your brand in this e-commerce growth plan. So feel free to go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com slash grow and apply for a free growth plan today. Thank you all again so much for listening.